I want to um, highlight one thing. You know, you get revelation when you're, what C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to you when things are going good, but he shouts at you in your pain. <laughs> and there's, I'm very aware of the voice of God. And um, most of you know, I was, in a, I was rear-ended by a car and a motor, on my motorcycle and pretty bad crash. And, uh, and I, I want to say that people say, well, did you feel God in it? Do you feel close to God in it? What do you feel like God was saying? Did you feel his love and his closeness? And I actually didn't. But there's something deeper than feeling. That's reality. And the reality is, with your trauma, think of the worst trauma you've ever gone through. What is that? Jesus Christ didn't, I mean, I, I would not choose to go through the trauma I went through. It was basically five seconds of a very hellish experience, plus all that happened afterwards. Jesus willingly was traumatized so that, so that he could bring redemption to our trauma. He cared enough that the worst thing you've ever gone through have, red, have full, miraculous, redemption dynamic fully working in and through it. He cared enough to himself, sub willingly subject himself to trauma so that that could happen. That's reality, and that's deeper than any sort of sense of feeling at any level. I love truth, don't you? Faith plus truth equals reality. <laughs> um, I was also very, very stunned uh, coming to church last night and even and this morning as well. That I'm by the worship, by the church at worship. I missed you guys last couple weeks, and it's so good to worship with you. And I think of Hebrews twelve, where it says that we are not, we have not come to the mount that cannot be touched, and that burned with fire. That mount of Sinai where God was revealed in the potential for judgment and the nakedness of soul that says there's nothing to grasp hold of here. I have, there's nothing to cover my sinfulness in the presence of God. There's just judgment. He says, you've not come to that mount, but you've come to Mount Zion the city of the living God, to, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Mount Zion is the place where the church is gathered to worship, to praise. And it says, you've come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And I had such a profound sense of the church at its best in our worship this morning. This is the church. That is famous in heaven. Your name is famous in heaven. Unless I start preaching, I shall quit. But when I shared that last night, David comes up and says, guess what my title of my sermon is, Dad? I looked at it. It says, like, you're famous in heaven. So God's emphasizing it. Give David Mickelson a warm welcome as he comes and shares.
It's hotter than blue blazes up here. I don't know if you know the different blaze temperatures, but blue is the hottest. Is Marty here for that? Oh, she's not even here. Oh, darn. I was going to ask her where she got those pants. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that the person who, who told me, do not let me fall asleep, will stay awake for this entire sermon. In Jesus' name. Amen. And for, if I can be serious for a second, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to everyone here today. Amen. Okay. All right. So, these are bulletin bloopers, and uh, you've probably heard some of these, but some of them might be new, and they're just about the best. So, here we go. And everybody who was here last night, you can pretend to, that this is the first time you've heard these. Okay. <laughs> So it says, the outreach committee has enlisted 25 visitors to make calls on people who are not afflicted with any church. (laughs) Meant to say affiliated. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. (laughs) The Reverend Merriweather spoke briefly, much to the delight of the audience. Miss Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a good chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. (laughs) The cost for attending the fasting and prayer conference includes meals. The peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. Not these dumb. (laughs) Barbara C. remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons. Poor Pastor Jack. Let's see, where are we here? Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. <laughs> Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. Okay, I got a boo on that one. All right, uh, let's see here. Weight Watchers, we'll meet at 7 p.m. Please use the large double door at the side entrance. <laughs> All right, one more. The eighth graders will be presenting Shakespeare's Hamlet in the church basement on Friday at 7 p.m. The congregation is invited to attend this tragedy. Okay. All right. Those are fun. So we're going to open up to Psalm 18 and Luke 21. Let's see. Everybody still awake? It's good. All right. Psalm 18 and Luke 21. So while you find those... I want to tell you, I read a story this week from somebody who was making a confession, and it's by a guy from out of state. You probably don't know who he is, but he was talking about a dream he's had for years, and uh, the dream was that he would be a famous worship leader, and God was going to give him a career, and it was going to be financially prosperous, and here he is in middle age, and it never came true. And he's talking about his sense of letdown and processing the fact that he felt that God told him that was going to happen, and it didn't happen and uh, how he feels that he's a failure. And it just kind of got me thinking. And I wonder how many people here have a calling and gifts, and you know, you might not be speaking in front of stadiums or singing in front of concert halls and wondering um, how worthwhile your gifts and your callings are. And so I'm going to encourage you today that your gifts and callings are mighty in the kingdom of God and uh, crucial. And so we're going to talk about that. And we don't want to be like somebody who feels once they've reached a certain age, you know what, this, all, all my dreams didn't come true and, I, and God hasn't really used me. Okay? So this is an important topic for all of us. And I hope that your thinking will change and your feelings because our thoughts 
influence our feelings. So your feelings about what you're doing for God should change, I hope, very dramatically today if they're not right where they should be already. And maybe for all of you, they're already right where they should be, but I don't know. All right, so Psalm 18, starting with verse 27. Now, this is the NIV, so for those of you who are wiser and smarter and read the King James, you'll have to forgive me, and you can pray for me that I'll get a better translation in the future. So this is uh, Psalm, 20, Psalm 18, verse 27. It says, You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. If you're sitting next to somebody, tell them, you can advance against a troop. You can advance against a troop. Thank you, Jesus. That's an exciting one. I like that one. With my God, I can scale a wall. That would take a lot of faith for me. Hmm. <laughs> As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is, be- who is God besides the Lord? Who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Now, I don't know about you. I don't really want hooves. But I think I get the idea. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. Now, a lot of translations say, your gentleness makes me great, your humility makes me great, your help makes me great. I've always been fascinated by the idea God is up here and we're down here and he's willing to come down to where we are in order to lift us up and make us great. Now, David became great in the sense that he became famous, he became king. He wrote this. He started out as a shepherd boy. And it's easy to subconsciously think this is for him. This is for the type of person that becomes famous. That's not what this is about. The Psalms are for everybody. And they were written for you as well as for the person next to you. They're not just for people whose names are famous in the Bible. God wants to lift you up. And God wants to make you great as greatness is defined in the kingdom. Now, greatness defined in the kingdom is very different than greatness in the world. And there are many people who are great in the world who are not known in heaven. And there are many people who are not known in the world who are great in heaven. Okay? You know that already. It's kind of hard to preach to you guys things because you already know all of this anyway. But you're humoring me, so thank you. Okay. God wants to stoop down to make you great. It's worth thinking about. Okay. Don't just know that here. It's worth knowing that right here. God wants to stoop down to make you great. And the only one who can stop him is you. (laughs) We don't want to get in his way, do we? Okay. So I'm excited to talk with you today about this. You know, usually we get our passages handed to us by the powers that be. You know, there's like a series or something. You're going to preach on this. Okay. And sort of like, you know, you're on Mount Sinai and you're receiving the Ten Commandments from the hand of God. Only it's your father handing it down to you. (laughs) And... You know, my dad's been absent. He came back for the first time yesterday, but he's been absent from the building for a few weeks. And I heard somebody say, I'm not going to say who it was. They know who they are, and they know that Jesus heard them, but they said, (laughs) when the cat's away, the mice will play. (laughs) And it's kind of true, though, in a way. I mean, so we're like, well, we can do whatever we want right now, and I can preach on whatever I want right now. When I wrote the sermon, I thought that I wasn't going to be under any supervision, but so, you know, it is kind of hard to be an assistant pastor at New Song. You have so many people above you in the chain of command. You have your dad, you have 
Jim Wolf, the worship pastor and board member. And anytime we want to make a change to the building, there's you got to ask Michelle. She's the chief decorator. Make sure that she, you know. And I have you know, some of the worship leaders tell me what to do. And some of the more impertinent soundboard people tell me what to do. <laughs> I got a lot of the church board. And above all, the very tippy top, the imperious figure looms of my mother. <laughs> <laughs> she here? She's not, oh, she's not here in the room. Okay, good. I can tell you what I told the church last night. So I walked in one time to my parents' house, and I heard my mom and my sister talking about how I always preach on the same thing. And... Yeah, oh, you guys oh, you got really serious. So you should have seen the looks on their faces when I walked in. Oh, caught, caught in the act. So every time I think about that, I have to re-forgive. Oh, hold on. Okay, forgive, <laughs> forgive. So, you know, I do have to say, though, I wouldn't have to keep preaching on the same thing if you guys would just get it the first time. <laughs> so you're going to get this today, and I'm never going to have to preach on this again. Do you like how I deflect the blame? I should have gone to politics. Okay. Are you ready? You're going to get this? That worship leader should have valued his humble service as great before God, irrespective of how many people were watching. You can be famous for your service in the throne room of heaven right now. And my dad got that message before he knew what I was preaching on, to share right before I started speaking. You can be famous, famous in the throne room of God before the Lord and all of his angels. You, right now, if you're willing to humbly serve him. Okay. You know, plenty of people who are famous, as I said, in the world today, are least in the kingdom of heaven, if if they made it at all. And we hope that they do. And many who are overlooked in the world are celebrated by the angels of heaven. Did you know that the apostle Paul was sometimes overlooked? In his own time? And not just in the world. The Apostle Paul, if you can believe this, and we're going to talk about this later, I'll show you in Scripture, was overlooked in the church in his own day. We can't judge our place in the kingdom by recognition or any kind of, you know, human attention that we're getting right now. We can't judge. It's only based on an audience of one. In eternity... Only one opinion matters, and you know who that is. It's the Lord. It is those who he praises and only those who he praises who will have fame and honor that truly last. So you, yes, you can be famous in the throne room of heaven. And maybe you already are. Maybe there are people here today who are serving God cheerfully, and you don't realize that he honors you in front of the angels of heaven right now. Are you serving God cheerfully in some way? And I don't just mean full-time ministry. Are you serving God in some way cheerfully right now? You are famous in the throne room of heaven right now. He knows your name and he honors you. You should feel great joy about that. You should feel excited about that. When was the last time you leaped for joy? Has it been a while? Okay. (laughs) That was a good one. About 40 pounds ago, he says. Some of you are thinking, David, don't leap for joy. You'll break the stage. Okay. But you understand what I'm saying. We should have a lifestyle where we feel joy in what we are in God, who we are in God. And if we're, if we're not feeling that, then we don't really understand what's happening around us. And we don't really understand who we are. And the enemy wants to rob you of the joy of who you are. And we're not going to let that happen, are we? Okay. There's a stupid movie. Don't watch it. But a guy says to a, a woman he's trying to impress, I'm kind of a big deal. Okay. That never worked, by the way. But... <laughs> 
we need to realize we are kind of a big deal in the kingdom if we're cheerfully serving the Lord. And so I wish I could gently communicate to that longtime worship leader exactly how much we ought to hold earthly fame in contempt. It's so worthless to base your value and your sense of worth on how much attention you're getting from people. And I want to do a quick Bible quiz here. For those of you who are willing to participate, you don't have to participate. But I want to ask you if you can name anybody who else besides Elijah who was alive in his day. Anyone else? Don't say Elijah because I just gave you that name. Anybody else who was alive in the, in the time of Elijah? Elisha? Good. And there should be two more who people can name. Jezebel? And who was she married to? Okay. So you can name Ahab and you can name Jezebel. They were famous in their day. They were well known. Everybody knew their names. So what did their earthly fame get them? And you see where I'm going with this. Okay? Jezebel was thrown from a balcony and eaten by dogs as a judgment for murder. Not a happy ending. Ahab was killed in battle in the very field where he had murdered someone else as a judgment for murder. That's what their earthly fame got them. On the other hand, did you know that there were 7,000 in, in that day whose names are not in Scripture, but it tells us that God, knows, God knew who they were and they were famous before him at this time? I'll, sh- I'll prove it to you. It says in 1 Kings 19.18, Elijah's complaining that he's the only one left. God, I'm the only one left. And God's like, well, actually, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. That's 7,000 whose names are not in Scripture, but they were known to God, and they were famous in the throne room of heaven because of who they were. And, you know, Daniel tells us in chapter 12, verse 3, something that's worth knowing about this. It says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So think about it. In the time of Ahab and Jezebel, they were extremely well known, and yet it came to nothing. Whereas 7,000 whose names we have no idea who they were. But in reality, which is in the kingdom, they were shining like the stars. And so how things looked was completely the opposite of how things really were. And the same is true today. So there's a glory that can be attained right now on this earth, which is entirely unseen in this world. And it's possible for us to have that if we're willing to cheerfully serve him. We can shine like the stars in heaven. And this glory is for those like those 7,000 who are willing to put God first over the world. So for those who are entering into his service, you haven't done it yet, but you're going to, you can have that starting today. And for those who are already cheerfully serving him, you have it. And it's a wonderful thing that you should value greatly. I want to look with you at Luke 21 now. This is a great story. It's a famous story. Luke 21, 1. It says, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Don't you love that Jesus felt free just to sit there and watch as people gave their money? Imagine if Pastor Dan sat back by the tithe box and just watched. No. Jesus just did whatever he felt like, didn't he? I love that about him. Verse 2, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance, have put in offerings for God, but she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Great story. Now, I've got to give a confession, of course. I love to tell on myself. So God 
has already forgiven me for this, but I have to tell you something horrible. I used to find this story to be a little bit ridiculous. Why ridiculous? Because two mites are two copper coins, so it's two pennies. And it's like, okay, really? We're supposed to be impressed by two pennies? Come on. I mean, she couldn't have given a nickel at least. Like, oh, congratulations, lady, you gave two cents. And Jesus says, all she had to live on. What is that? I mean, can you really live on two cents? Go to the grocery store and try to see what you can get for two cents. So that's my thoughts on this in the past, like a week ago and earlier. (laughs) So (sighs) that wasn't supposed to be funny. Uh, Okay, so two nights ago, I know I told a similar story, but I'm going to tell this anyway. Last time I told a similar story about um, Raisin Bran, but this time it's about popcorn. So two nights ago, I, I, wa- I needed, not wanted, needed popcorn. Okay, I'm watching a movie and I had to have buttered popcorn. There wasn't any in the house. So I went to my favorite little grocery store in Phoenix, Oregon, which will remain nameless in case I forget to edit this out of the video for next week. And, okay, so I was driving there and I thought to myself, well, I know at Winco... Oral Redenbacher costs $4, so it's going to cost like $6. I'm just going to have to brace myself for this. David, are you going to be able to handle this? Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle this. I'm going to buy it no matter what it costs. No matter what it costs, I'm going to buy it. $9 for this little thing of Oral Redenbacher popcorn. So as I was checking out, I was almost said to the checkers, is this like flecked with little gold pieces or something? Yeah. So you know what that means. That means that you can't even buy two pieces of popcorn for two mites. You can't even get, a penny will not buy you a piece of popcorn if it's $9 for a little thing. Okay, so all she had to live on. That's what we're talking about here. I'm assuming they had a 99-mite store back then, but even that, she would have gotten turned away. This is last night when they told me to stop making some stupid jokes. Okay, so I have to tell you, on further investigation... I looked into this while eating my gold-flecked popcorn, and it turns out that a mite was one sixty-fourth of this coin called a denarius, and that's a day's wages. So when you think about it, what's a day's wages today? $15 an hour, eight hours, it's $120. So one sixty-fourth is actually a couple bucks, and she gave two of these. So really, she gave $4. So we can, if you think of it like that, now the story makes sense, okay? Now she actually, okay, what could she have got? She could have gotten a loaf of bread, Not in Phoenix, Oregon, but somewhere else she could have gotten a loaf of bread. (laughs) And so she really did make a choice between eating and what she wanted to give. And while the people who gave a lot, they gave a lot more than $4, but they didn't give so much that they had to rely on the Lord. But she actually gave all she had so that she had to trust in God for her next meal. Now, whew, I can, okay, now I can take this story seriously. $4 makes such a difference to me more than two cents. So this lady gives... $4, let's put it that way. And Jesus sees what she gives, and he honors her in front of his disciples and in front of everyone else who was there. And the Holy Spirit, writing the scriptures through the people who wrote the Gospels, actually decided this story was worth including in two Gospels, Mark and Luke. And so her $4 was read, that story was read by not millions over the next 2,000 years, but billions with a B, her story. And this woman I believe in heaven. She's a woman of faith. I don't see why she wouldn't be in heaven right now. Do you think she's glad that she gave that $4? Do you think she's glad that she chose faith that day and has great joy because of what she did? Now, Jesus is what? The perfect representation of the Father. What Jesus did, the Father also does. So, 
if Jesus prays this woman in front of all his disciples, do you think the Lord, when you do a small act of faith that no one else sees, doesn't praise you in front of those who are around? Do you think he doesn't value that and treasure that? Is, has God changed? Has Jesus changed? Have the rules changed for what brings glory? Okay, this isn't just a one-off thing. This is an example of what we can have if we're willing to make these so-called unseen, so-called small acts of faith. You can bring a glory to yourself into eternity if you're willing to press into what God has for you. And I just think that's amazing. I think it, it fills me with so much excitement to know that nothing is small in the kingdom. Nothing is insignificant in the kingdom. Nothing is overlooked. You're not overlooked. There's no one who doesn't have a calling. And these things were called before the creation of the world. God set these things up for you. It's too big. David talks about things being too wonderful for me to understand. And I think this is one of those things. You can think about this and think about this. And it's almost too wonderful to understand that God has set these things up for us so that we can serve him in some so-called small way. And then we get an amazing, uh, just to have the Lord himself praising us before the angels of heaven. And he is so much more important than an audience of a million people. God is on the edge of his seat watching you. Did you know that? God is on the edge of his seat. You have a captive audience. And he's ready to praise you for your every act. Isn't that more important than any number of people? I mean, no offense, people are great, and I love you guys, but God is God. Okay. What should our response be to this? And I talked about this a second ago. I'm not going to rejoice right now by jumping up and down. I'm not wearing the, wearing the shoes for it. We'll, we'll say that's my excuse. But we should be rejoicing because of who we are in Christ. You know that thing you did? You could probably think of something right now. That thing you did that nobody saw. Why don't you think of something right now? Nobody saw it but God. Maybe the thing that you treasure most into eternity. Because God saw it and he is so proud of you for that thing. And it matters immensely. So that was the easy part. That was the fun part. Now I get to do the little warning part of this. I think there's a cliche that pastors of megachurches, certain pastors, not all of them, but certain ones, every week they come before their church and say, oh, you're so amazing. Oh, you're so wonderful right now. And they never get challenged. They never preach a sermon that's kind of hard to hear. And if you do that, you know, if you just say what people want to hear, you can get your church really big, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people. And, you know, that might be a temptation for me to get up here and every day, oh, you're so amazing. You're so precious right now. Look at you. But we do have to preach the Bible as it is at this church. So there's going to be some challenging parts. And there's some sobering stuff in Scripture about this as well. There's a flip side. So Jesus said, Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and most find it. But narrow is the path that leads to life, and few find it. And even within that smaller group, those who find heaven, Matthew 5.19, Whoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and teach others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So you have people here who are they're in the kingdom of heaven. They found that narrow path that leads to heaven, but they will be called least. And how does that happen? Well, they're false teachers. They're saved, but they're teaching that it's okay to sin. And do I want to go to heaven and be called least? No. <laughs> but it says that's going to happen to some people. Let's have everybody say right now, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. Okay. So there is such a thing as getting to heaven, 
but wishing intensely, I believe this implies, wishing intensely that you would live differently. All right, let's give an example. If I have a calling to be, let's say, a worship leader, and, you know, I don't know why they don't call me up to sing more solos, and I don't know why I'm not up here more. Just kidding. Okay. Some of you took that seriously. Maybe I should be singing more. <laughs> Let's say I have a calling to be a worship leader. And, well, it's only 20 people in the room. And the next year, it's still only 20 people. And I see that this guy on Facebook has thousands. All right, well, Lord, I guess you don't really want me to do this. And I quit. Well, there's my calling, and I didn't do it. And I live my life that way with that attitude. And then when I go before him, I realized that I had a whole opportunity in my whole life where I could have served him cheerfully. And it would have mattered just as much to him because he's looking at the heart. He doesn't really care about the audience size. He's just looking at your heart. It would have mattered to him just as much for me as that worship leader to lead cheerfully to those 20 people as it did that other guy who had 10,000. And I could have done that. And I had the opportunity, but I chose to have a bad attitude. And I would wish intensely that I had behaved differently. Now, you have a calling, and your calling might be leading you in front of huge tents. You know, you might be the next Reinhard Bonnke, for all we know. You could have a million people. I don't know. But if your calling and your gifting ends up being, you know, in front of smaller crowds or fewer people, God doesn't care about that. He's just looking at your heart. You know, it's all him anyway. The person who leads a million people to Jesus or one person, it's all through him anyway. He's just looking at your heart. And he wants you to be willing to serve him cheerfully. And it will be just as good for you to have done your calling as it was for someone else to lead millions. You have an audience of the one who holds the universe in his hand. And that's good enough for me. He's watching on the edge of his seat, rooting me on. He's watching on the edge of his seat, rooting you on. Is that good enough? So if we really understood this, we should be rejoicing. We should be so grateful for our calling. And we should have so much joy in doing our calling. And if we don't, we don't really understand what's happening around us. You know, there's no small stuff in the kingdom. I hope we understand that. There's nothing small. There's only a great big God and our cheerful service. That's it. It's a great big God and your cheerful service. There's no small. Even those two mites, as much as I find it hard to think of them as a big deal, even those two mites are a big deal before God. As usual, the Apostle Paul has something good to say on this topic. So I want to read 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. You notice everyone has a calling. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Uh-oh. He doesn't know how to get a megachurch. <laughs> Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. In Paul's day, where did the gospel have success? Do you know? In Paul's day, the gospel had great success among women and slaves. We don't have much of a record of the rich, powerful, especially rich, powerful men getting saved. 
They were usually the ones who were calling Christians atheists because they, they didn't believe in the Roman pantheon. And they called them, what was it, haters of men? But among the lowliest and the least important of that day, women had no legal rights back then and slaves. Christianity had great success. Now, it's true that the apostles, like Paul and others, advanced the kingdom. But it wasn't just them. Now, today, Christianity covers half the globe. Why did that happen when that generation, it was just a few thousand, mostly the, the least important people? Because people whose names we don't know, people who never made it in the Bible, ha- passed their faith on to one or two people. Maybe their children. Maybe a handful of friends. And it grew. And then the next generation, it's still the lowliest of the low. They did their callings. Small callings, so-called. Little callings that we didn't see and that don't make their way into the history books. And it grew. And now the faith covers half the globe. We have to understand this. We must understand how crucial all of our callings are. Okay. What did they say about Paul? Because surely Paul was known as being important in his day, right? I mean, when I see paintings by the old masters like Raphael of Paul, he always has this angelic look on his face. His fa- he always has a glow, you know. As he, as he walked around, it was always like, oh, there's Paul, right? Well, what actually does it say? Well, this is from 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. This is how people saw him in the church. Here's a quote. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Ouch! That's just the Apostle Paul we're talking about here. That's what they said about him. Did you know that Paul spent half his time in prison? Did you know that he wasn't even in full-time ministry? I mean, isn't it true that there's a tendency to judge a person's calling by whether they're in full-time ministry. We need to repent of that if, if we ever feel inclined to that. Paul spent most of his days sewing tent pieces together. He was not well off. He didn't even have a building. He, le- he rented lecture halls or met in churches or outside. Now today, there are 28 cities named St. Paul. And there are another 24 named San Pablo. There are Sao Paulo's. And there are dozens of other cities and other languages all around the world. The temple, uh, not the temple, the cathedral in London, St. Paul, is one of the most famous cathedrals. He's got to be the second most influential person in history after Jesus. But in his own day, he, you know, if he had any attention at all, it was usually a mob trying to kill him, right? (laughs) You know, Paul could have said, well, I don't have the big recognition. I'm not a mega church pastor. They had super apostles back then. He wasn't considered a super apostle. Do you know that? He wasn't even considered a super... There were others who were, oh, the so-called super apostles, the people who were paid to speak. That wasn't Paul. And he could have said, well, I'm not going to do it. If I, can't, if I can't be one of the big super apostles, I'm not going to do it. And he would have missed out on an amazing life, an amazing fruitfulness, and an amazing reward if he had had that attitude. But he chose to be willing to do it humbly, and look what God did through him. And he probably didn't see all of that, or he definitely didn't see all of that until he was in heaven, And God was able to show him, this is what I'm going to do through your life. And this is how much you're going to impact the world. And that might be us. We might see only in the next life how God used us in amazing ways that we can't imagine right now. And we don't want to miss out on that. What are you saying, David? Are you saying I can be as important as the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament? Hmm, am I saying that? What am I saying? To the person who God sent your way specifically for you to show them Jesus, you are. 
to that person in that moment? You are. God makes his appeal to the world through you in very specific ways. He set these ways up before the creation of the world. He had a plan. To, it might be a homeless person. It might be your child who you showed Jesus, or if they're grown up, who you pray for. God is making his appeal through you to that person. And you are as important as the Apostle Paul in that moment, in that place. I'm not just talking about evangelism here. I know we talk a lot about evangelism. I'm talking about all the gifts. God is calling you to be Jesus in amazing ways. Don't look for a glow. Don't look for anyone to clap. Don't look for any recognition in the moment. I'm not saying you won't get those things. You might get those things, but don't need them. God sees, and that's enough. He honors you in his throne room before the angels of heaven. His servants are famous where many of the most well-known people here on earth are not even known. You must get your thoughts right on this. You must get your thoughts on this in alignment with Scripture. It doesn't have to be alignment with me, but at least in alignment with Scripture. If you want to live well, if you want to understand what's going on around you, we have to think right on this. You know, thoughts lead to feelings. So here's a measuring line for you. Do you feel just as good about your service and calling right now as you would if everyone on earth knew your name? Do you feel as excited to be you with your calling as you would if you had a million people in a stadium? If you can't say yes to that right now, then you need to change your thinking. Because you have the most important audience member of all sitting on the front row on the edge of his seat watching. He's so pro you, and that's enough for all of us. Here's what Paul says. I'm going to end with this. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Isn't that wonderful? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for our callings. And we need our identities to be in alignment with who we are with respect to our callings. We need to know that we have an amazing callings, and there's nothing small in the kingdom. There's nothing insignificant about us or about what you want to do through us. We pray we'll think rightly on this so that we can be full of great joy as we serve you cheerfully. That's it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand up. What a liberating truth. Isn't that liberating? Yeah. Boy, that has a lot of potential, doesn't it? Yeah. For, for us moving forward in our journey, life journeys. You might want to spend some time today thinking about the application further in your life. You might want to go for a walk and talk to God about living for an audience of one. You might want to spend some time at the altar just you and God right now as the waters have been stirred to respond. You might have a healing need that one of our, uh, we'll have our pastoral care team come up and our miracle releasing pastoral care team ministering to you at a point of your need. I hope that you'll avail yourself of that. So we constantly live in an environment of expectation. Those of you at home, same thing. Let's get after this so David doesn't have to preach it again. All right, all right. Remember, everybody, we love you. God loves you. Go and do your God stuff, okay? It's you and God. You're doing great things.
famous in heaven. Amen.